My name is Larry Zabisco, wrestling's living legend. And we're listening to a couple of spudheads who think they have another wrestling podcast. It's time for uh, another wrestling podcast. to another wrestling podcast. This is episode number 40, 40 episodes in the book, and I am Jonathan Benjamin. And I'm Steve Credo. Uh, after 40 episodes, Jonathan, can you believe it? I can't believe it, but I also think that by 40 episodes now, people should know who we are, but if they don't, like I said, I'm Jonathan Benjamin. And once again, I'm Steve Credo, and that's what we're going to do every episode you guys listen to, because if you don't know who we are... Well, you now you do after 40 episodes, right? Steve, we have a giant-sized show again today. 2015 just keeps rolling on. And one of one of the most probably influential people during the 80s and even up to the 90s and, and possibly today, we have none other than the living legend Larry Zabisco joining us today. That's great, Jonathan. I uh, can't wait to talk to him. 40 episodes, I'm trying to go back in my mind here. Uh, we had very humble beginnings. We started out just just kind of introducing ourselves, and then from there we have been on a nonstop roller coaster. We've had some amazing guests, some famous people, movie stars, porn stars, and every wrestler uh, known to man. So that's right, uh, Hall of Famers, World Champions. Uh it's a mixed bag of goodies, Jonathan. A mixed bag of uh, goodies for your ears to enjoy uh, for 40 episodes. And but the greatest thing about this, Jonathan, is that you know a lot of episode, a lot of other podcasts. You know, you listen to them. They talk about Raw. They talk about SmackDown. They talk about Impact. They talk about whatever's going on. And that's great. I love it. You know, we love talking about wrestling because that's why we're here. Uh, but the thing is, I think what we do, Jonathan, is unique into the into a into the fact that what we talk about can be listened any time of day, any week, any any month, any year. You can go back to episode 20, listen to it, and it's not going to be about, you know, January 30th, 2013, Raw. Uh, you know, it, it's we, we're a topical show, and that's what's great about us, right? Yeah, we try to hit the hard-hitting topics, some of the things that everybody likes to talk about that really stirs up the conversation. We also want to, you know, engage you, the fan. So anytime that you have something that you think we should be talking about or that we haven't talked about enough, please let us know. Uh, we are very 
social media savvy, as they say. So please let us know. But Steve, do you have any favorite moments so far? Um, we're 40 episodes in. We've still got a lot of, of, of gas in the tank, as they say. But is there anything that really stands out for you as uh, an interview that we've done so far? Oh, man, Jonathan. uh Guys, if you're listening to this right now and you haven't listened to any other show, my personal favorite, Jonathan, is episode 19 uh, with Zeus. Come on, guys. Uh, Tiny Lister, Debo from Friday, Zeus from No Holds Barred. Uh, we know we talked about the celebrity effect in pro wrestling, but if you guys go back to this, Zeus answers a challenge from John Cena, uh, and it's it's pretty badass, if I must say, and I can't believe it hasn't been picked up by the rest of the world. Uh, we could have seen a John Cena vs. Zeus match at WrestleMania 31, but it's yet to be, uh, you know, gone uh, viral. So if you guys check it out, there's a lot of good stuff on there. But Jonathan, what about you? I mean, in 40 episodes, what, what have we done that just, you know, you go back to and are, and are so proud of that you just have to tell everybody about? You know, I think that what's so great about us is that we've kind of been an outlet for other wrestlers that may have something else going on in their life or things that they want to talk about or, you know, just one to come on. And for me, I think it was definitely Lanny Poffo, the Macho Man's brother. Uh, number 18, we got to talk to – episode number 18, we got to talk to Lanny Poffo, and then we did a YouTube exclusive after we found out that the Macho Man was going to be inducted into this year's Hall of Fame. So I, I would definitely say that that was a big one for me. It was a very proud moment. That also landed us on foxnews.com, and we had uh, quite a bit of a success with that. So that's my vote for – most favorite moment so far. Yeah, Jonathan, I mean, uh, we'll save uh, maybe a, a, a year in review or something like that for episode 50. But, you know, I mean, just to reflect back on some of these episodes, there's been uh, a lot of guests, a lot of people from Ken Shamrock to to, you know, Karma, uh, Before She Returns, to John Morrison, uh, Glacier, Mick Foley as, well... Good old Saint Mick. Uh, I think the only the only podcast out there that actually has an interview as with Mick Foley as Santa Claus. Uh, that's that's probably one of the firsts. I mean, we talked to everybody, Jonathan Nigel McGinnis, Lance Storm, Jim Cornette. Uh, the list is endless, but I, I don't want to talk your ears off about it, kids. Uh, we're just giving you the gist. It's forty episodes in. We've talked about a lot of topics, Jonathan, but I think one of the biggest topics out there that we haven't touched yet are the heel turns, Jonathan. The heel turns. Are you with me on this one? I am absolutely with you on this one, and I was just getting ready to say, if you keep talking, you're going to become a full-blown heel. <laughs> so I, I think it's something that, and if you're new to this podcast or maybe you're new to wrestling, we will give you a little backstory here. It's not that difficult in the world. There's always been good. And there's always been evil. And professional wrestling kind of always mirrors the culture of the world. So with that, there's always a good guy and a bad guy. That's kind of not always the case these days, but back in the day when wrestling started, that's really the only way that they could get these wrestlers over. And that would be to have a good guy, probably from the hometown, going against a bad guy, which typically took on a different culture. So we've had, you know, the Iron Sheik is somebody that's from a different country. Rusev currently is from a different country. So they're almost automatically always a heel. And you have your USA um, people such as Sergeant Slaughter, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Hulk Hogan, John Cena. Those are kind of your, 
your baby faces, as they call them. So heel turns are a very big point of contention in today's world of wrestling. And I'm pretty sure that you know that you, you know where we're going with this, uh, Steve. Uh, yes, Jonathan. I think I want to bring this up. I'll, I'll have to post the audio for this, but uh, during WrestleMania 29, WrestleMania weekend uh, here in New York, the New, New York, New Jersey area, I actually captured on video as John Cena was talking uh, to, to another reporter, uh, and he actually gave us the John Cena heel turn because, I mean, it's the one biggest heel turn everybody wanted, but uh, listen to this real quick. Watch me work. Get that camera panned out. Can I see my shoes? I'm going to satisfy every uber wrestling critic, fanatic, John Cena right now. Catch the shoes. Listen to the audio. Did you see that? Did you just see that? This is John Cena turning heel. <laughs> see what I just did there? Now everybody's satisfied. We can all go back to work, watch, and enjoy the show. So, Jonathan, that was probably one of my greatest uh, live moments, uh, just being in the same room with him. Um, I was five feet away, and I caught the actual John Cena heel turn. Over 119,000 clicks later on uh, YouTube, uh, one, of my, one of my fine moments, Jonathan, but heel turns, baby. Uh, the, one of the, the biggest things that, you know, that could happen to a superstar, and uh, I think, you know, it's the one thing that everybody wants to happen to John Cena, but we, we haven't seen it. I don't think we'll ever see it. What about you? Is this something that you think we'll ever see? I mean, as far as turning heel? I think that right now, especially with their product currently being PG, that that's just not something that we're going to see. John Cena is the number one Make-A-Wish guy. He's one of the highest grossing merchandise guys, and it's been talked about, and I'm, I'm putting the final nail in the coffin right now. It's just not going to happen right now. There's It doesn't really make sense. And for him to turn heel for just the the minority, I would say, of um, whether it be internet wrestling fans or smart marks or whatever you want to call them, they're the ones that are really pushing for this, whereas mainstream wrestling fans just don't really – they don't really care. Well, you know, it could be it could be a lot like uh, the big show. I mean, this guy turns heel every other week, uh, you know, from heel to face to heel to face. Do you think doing something like that to a character just like – I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense anymore. Like we, you just keep turning into a bad guy to a good guy to a bad guy. Just too much. I think that this is something that we'll definitely be talking about at a later date. But with Big Show, I think that they have somebody who's a giant who's portraying a giant, and they just have never really known exactly what to do with him. So I think that that's one of the biggest issues that we have with Big Show today is that they get in a situation and they're like, you know what, we need somebody, okay, Big Show, you're that guy, so you're going to be the face, or you're going to be the heel, or whatever the case may be. So I, I kind of think that Big Show is one of the more underrated and underutilized people in the in the WWE just because they're not 100% sure how to use them. Yeah, and I mean, I, I always tell to my friends, I'm like, you know, Andre the Giant would turn over in his grave right now if he knew how they were handling the Big Show. I mean, you're, you're a guy, you know, this gigantic, uh, you know, and to be used like to where, you know, Cena was, you know, body slamming him every other show. I mean, they did some great stuff with Brock Lesnar, but I mean, I feel in wrestling, if you're a giant or if you're a really big guy, uh, to where nobody's else is your size, you know, you have to be billed as like, you know, somebody that 
is unstoppable that you don't really lose that often uh you're just you know you're you're a dominant machine and you know that went out the door years ago big show and i i i don't really know what to do with it you know it's the, it's the nature of the beast uh, in pro wrestling but i mean man it, they could have used him so many different ways and it's just it's just one of those things I shake my head at because I honestly wish, you know, he would still be that Andre the Giant-esque character to where, you know, it'd be really hard to beat him all the time. And then, you know, he's just turned into a joke of, of sorts at certain times to where he's a giant, but that doesn't really mean anything because anybody could flip him or body slam him. And it was just like, what's the big deal anymore? But uh, back to heel turns. I mean, maybe that's why he keeps going back and forth because is you know, he's probably feeling sorry for himself. But uh, regardless, Jonathan, uh, from Cena to big show, let's get down to business to, to, to the biggest heel turn ever that pretty much broke the mold on heel turns. Uh, the infamous Hulk Hogan heel turn. Tell me about this, Jonathan. Well, you know what? There was a big thing going on. It was the Monday Night Wars. WCW was starting to get some of WWE's talent. They were the big names, such as Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And they just kept saying that they were bringing a third person in. They were bringing a third person in, and no one knew who this person was going to be. And so... There was some speculation, but no one ever realized or or really put too much thought into who it could be. At the end of the day, it was Bash at the Beach. You had Scott Hall, Kevin Nash came down. They didn't have anybody with them, so you didn't really know exactly where they were going to go with that. They were going against Sting, Macho Man, and Luger. And the match is going on. They're kind of... You know, going back and forth, and all of a sudden they get to a point where Scott Hall and Kevin Nash have the upper hand, and you see who do you who do you see walking down that ramp? The immortal Hulk Hogan. So you see you see Hulk Hogan walking down the ramp. He's in his red and yellow. He's all excited. Everybody's thinking, "Oh my God, he's going to come down and help Macho Man and Sting and everybody." Well, he comes into the ring and he leg drops. Macho Man Randy Savage several times, thus creating the greatest heel turn of all time and forming probably arguably the greatest faction of all time, the NWO. And it, it was one of those things that like you didn't really ever expect to see, but you were watching it live. If you watched it live, uh, you know, it, it was just one of those things you just never thought you would ever see. And I remember watching it uh, as a young lad and watching it and I'm just like, I'm just like in shock right now because I'm like I'm not as angry as maybe some a lot of people were. I was just more in shock, kind of smiling, and I was like, I don't know what I'm witnessing right now, but I know it's something really big. And you know what I mean? It's like the number one good guy in the world. It's like Superman turning on the world. You know what I mean? It's it's your number one hero, uh, just going bad. It's the guy that you never think to go to go bad. And he's going bad, and it's just one of those things I couldn't believe you were witnessing. And man, they they really got everybody with it. I remember, I remember reading years later too, like people they said Sting was going to be it. You know, they presented it to Hogan. He didn't want to do it at first, and then you know they decided to do it with him. Um, but I mean, I just remember watching it and just like I was in awe. I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. I was just like, 
wow, I can't believe this just happened. Do you know what I mean? And it was a it was a big deal. Like if you watch the the play replays on YouTube or the network or whatever, uh, you know, it's like uh, you know it's cool because you're so used to seeing a lot of guys go bad. But this was at a time, you know what I mean? Like where you just it's hard to to reduplicate the scene. And the only thing that could ever duplicate it would be a Cena heel turn, which is why we talked about it at the beginning because it's something we we just said. You know, we're never gonna see it. And Jonathan, when that day comes, we're gonna have to dedicate a whole show to it. If uh, the, the, the heel turn part two, the John Cena saga, uh, because I mean, it, it's just one of those moments, right? I mean, do you remember where you were the time and place watching this or had you felt? Yeah, I do. I mean, it was 1996. So I was the ripe age of 13. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was crazy because I, I highly suggest that people go back and actually watch the the entire pay-per-view because you kind of get a sense of the urgency of what's what's happening with this and uh we spoke about this in the past couple shows but there's also a pretty good match between sorry uh the Steiner brothers and Harlem Heat which are two of the tag teams that we we spoke about so um it was a great great main event and you got to see how history was made and i just was I mean, I, I had to pick my jaw up off the ground whenever it happened. But if you watch this back, and I implore you that you get on the network, you look at Bash of the Beach, there's a gentleman who could not be happier with the end result, and he was wearing an ECW shirt. So, I mean, you could obviously tell that he was kind of on that fringe of he wanted something a little more realistic or whatever, but he is going absolute bananas and if you if you watch it it's hilarious yeah and this is the time too i mean like people are so pissed off uh, at the event like you know they're throwing garbage in the ring uh and you know it, that was a rarity too it was like it was one of those things where you know when people are really pissed when they start throwing their you know their their soda bottles or garbage whatever they're eating in the ring and uh you know on national tv and stuff like that it, it was a rarity especially on like big events like this uh, but when something really bad or big happened, you know, like the the audience was fuming on it, and uh, you know, it was it was news everywhere. Um, it, it, you know, it could have been the biggest thing on probably like uh, headline news that night. But uh, man, just this is like what we're talking about, though. Heel turns. Uh, you know, the the guy we're probably never gonna see, Cena, and the the guy that nobody thought we would ever see, Hogan. You know, two of the biggest names right there. Uh, but Jonathan, it all started uh, somewhere. Uh, I think talking about Hogan is probably the biggest one. Out of out of anybody that we're going to talk about today, but going back years ago, Jonathan, uh, our very special guest today, Larry Zabisco. Uh, we're going to talk to him in a little bit, uh, but he also turned heel in his career, and it wasn't just against anybody. He turned heel against one of the biggest names on the planet at the time, which was Bruno Sammartino. So if you think Hogan turning on everybody was big, uh, put yourself back in time almost 40 years ago, and... Uh, here, let's hear about the story. Let's talk to Larry and see what he has to say about him turning heel with uh, Bruno Sammartino. Let's get him in the, the studio right now and uh, let's welcome the living legend, Larry Zabisco. Joining us today, we have none other than the living legend, Larry Zabisco. Uh, Larry, thanks for joining us tonight. Well, you love them, guys. Uh, my pleasure. Once in a while, uh, I step out of my normal hermit life. <laughs> and touch base with the public to keep uh, what's uh, you know going on in the, in the world. So this will be fun. We'll have a fun time. All right. Uh, now, Larry, uh, 
going back, we try to ask this to a lot of people, and uh, we want to ask your opinion. Uh, do, do you remember the first time you saw professional wrestling? Uh, do you, can you remember the uh, back when you became a fan of it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, I was born in Chicago, and uh, I must have been maybe twelve years old or so. Eleven, twelve. My dad was transferred to Pittsburgh, so the family moved from Chicago, you know, off to Pittsburgh. And when I got to Pittsburgh, you know, I think in those days we moved out to where we had seven stations, and um, it was the first time I saw pro wrestling. It was, uh, you know, the Channel Eleven Saturday you know, evening pro wrestling, studio wrestling. That's what it was. Studio wrestling with Chili Billy Cardilli. <laughs> and of course, one of the big stars there was was Bruno, and uh, that that's when I became a probably the biggest wrestling fan around, and Bruno became my hero. Now they they do say it's sometimes hard to idolize somebody and then meet them, but the first time that you met Bruno, were you disappointed? Oh, no, I I freaked out. You know what? It's funny. Uh, the very first time I met him, uh, my parents would always drag me off to church. And I was never a big church goer, but when you're a kid, you know. So I was probably maybe 13, 14, you know, big Bruno fan, big wrestling fan. Now, mom and dad dragged me and the brother and sister off to church one morning. And I'm sitting there in the pew, and I look down the pew. Who in the hell is sitting down the pew with his wife and little kids? Is Bruno. <laughs> He's at the same church. And I freaked out. So the family gets up and goes to communion, right? But I don't go to communion because that way I can slide down the pew <laughs> and sit right next to Bruno. <laughs> So that's what I did, you know. So the family thought I was going to hell, but I'm sitting next to Bruno. <laughs> so uh, and so then after that, you know, I may still even have it somewhere. There's so much junk in boxes in the annex. Uh, I, I grabbed the uh, church, uh, like in a bulletin of the day or whatever, and I chased Bruno after <laughs> the mass. And I said, oh, Bruno, yeah, my name's Larry. I'm a big fan. And he autographed my uh you know, St. Sebastian's piece of paper thing I had. And I had, I still have that somewhere. And it was funny. He was wrestling a guy named the beast and everybody's coming out of church. And there's this kid bugging Bruno. He's trying to get away. And I'm yelling, come on with the beast. And you can see him cringe. Oh God. You know, he just gets the hell out of there. But that's the first time I met him. You know, later, a few years later, I bust into the guy's backyard, crawling through his hedges. You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> All right, uh, Larry, so if we go back in time now, uh, before you became the, the new living legend, uh, you trained uh, under Bruno San Martino, and you also debuted in 1973. Uh, what was it like training back then to become a pro wrestler? And could you maybe compare it to how guys are trained today? I mean, do you, is there big differences? <laughs> well, you know what? There's really no comparison because back then there were no training facilities. There was no uh, wrestling schools. Uh, they didn't want people in the business. They wanted you sitting out in a chair holding a ticket stub. 
And if some guys got too, you know, pushy about it, they'd say, okay, here, go have a practice match with this guy, Carl Gotch. You know, he's an old guy, don't worry about him. You know, Carl would break the guy's arm, and then he'd go to the neighbor and go, oh, he broke my arm, man, it's a tough thing. Yeah, it was a different business. You know, when I started working out with Bruno, we worked you know, a lot on the weights, and he showed me basic holds and the submission holds and things you don't learn in high school that he knew. But I already had a, you know, I was already getting a wrestling background with all the amateur wrestling stuff and the judo stuff I was doing because I wanted to be a pro wrestler so bad. And then just by watching TV, you know, I mean, back then, you know, arm drags, a hip toss, you know, wrestling holds, you know, we, we kind of knew and learned on the fly, but there really was nowhere to go and learn. There was no schools, mm-hmm. you know, like there, every city has five schools nowadays. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, <laughs> but back then, they didn't even want you in the business. It's really a torturous thing. I mean, uh, the performance center that you know, the WWE sets up, you know, that these guys are training at, you know, the new, you know, hopefully talent. They're uh, going through a hell of a training. I mean, these guys are in phenomenal shape. Mm-hmm. And they're very well conditioned. And we and we get that, you know. I mean, later in life, gyms start popping up. But in the 70s and early 80s, when we were on the road, they, they didn't have gyms. You know, there was no L.A. Fitness. There was no Gold's Gyms. There was... There was nowhere to go to work out when you went to, to to a city. You know, once in a blue moon, you found a YMCA that had a dumbbells and a, a punching bag and a medicine ball. I mean, you know, it wasn't like today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, you had a different breed of man, too. You had a big, tough kind of man, kind of breed of men that they don't make anymore nowadays. It's a different era. Yep. Now, I mean, you, if you could imagine, you know, Bruno walking into the men's room changing a baby's diaper, you know, that, <laughs> that wouldn't happen. <laughs> uh, speaking of Bruno San Martino, he was not only your mentor, but also became one of your greatest rivals. You had some pretty um, bad things done to you whenever Bruno's fans kind of let you no. have it. What was the worst thing that you had done to you? Well... <sighs> <laughs> so many different ones. Um, it was kind of weird because you know, I mean, I was kind of like you know the, the everybody loved me, uh, young you know, good guy, tag team with Gurria, you know, uh, Bruno's protege, and then when Bruno retired, I wound up kind of lost in his shadow, where even the promoters didn't even know my name, and you know they'd say. Oh, that uh, yeah, Bruno's protege guy. Uh, what, uh, what, what's his name? You know, so I, I went kind of like overnight at, at a pretty young age from being just like a middle of the card, you know, young up and coming guy to the most hated man alive. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> like overnight, and 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 I wasn't really ready. I kind of freaked out. I, I really wasn't ready for the amount of hatred that came down upon me from the wrestling fans. I mean, I walked out, my cars would be smashed, lit on fire, oh, you know, stab riots every night, you know, from the balconies, chairs and whiskey bottles would come flying down. But they had scared me the most. The one time I left an arena and someone shot at me and a couple of feet above my head, you know, the bricks, you know, shattered. Wow. Yeah. After, after the big loud pop, 
I could feel, you know, the brick shatter and fall on me. That was probably the one that got me moving the quickest. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, was there any point during that time that you just said, like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I don't want to be the bad guy. I, I'm done. You know what? At that time, I didn't think like that. I, uh, at that time, I didn't expect it nor plan it to work out the way it did, but I found myself, because of what happened, you know, the big historic feud with Bruno, it, it kind of nailed my legacy in the business. And because of all the publicity, every other territory that, you know, you could make good money in the NWA, the AWA, always wanted me. So, you know, I mean, and they wanted me to be hated to make money, you know, for their companies. So I I never had changed, um, you know, my persona because that's what made me the money and and all that. So and what the promoters wanted and the people hated me. (laughs) It took 20 years. I finally, you know, Changed it when I did the broadcasting, but sure. uh, yeah, it was an interesting, it was an outrageous dream, my boys. Now, Larry, your feud with Bruno culminated in a steel cage match at Shea Stadium on August 9th, nineteen eighty, in front of an audience of over forty thousand people. Can you bring us back to that day and what it was like going out to face Bruno uh, outside in front of a, a crowd that large? Oh yeah, it, it, it was a. You know, one of those moments that you never forget. I mean, when I walked out of the dugout, and it's a complete different perspective. I mean, when you're a fan and you're watching a baseball game and you're sitting up in the bleachers looking at the field, it's one thing. You walk out of the dugout and look up, and there's 40,000 people, and they're all staring at you. And they're holding up signs, we want blood. And they mean it. I mean, it it was an awesome feeling. I mean, it was like, but but because it was so big and so intense, I mean, the energy, I felt invincible. You know, like the song, Bob Seger, The Rock. You know, like, you know, I mean, like the strongest I felt in the sighting in the sun. I mean, me walking out of the dugout at Shea when I hear that. Kind of reminds me of that moment because it was uh, it's undescribable, you know. It's sure. ecstasy. Now you you also spent some time working with uh, David San Martino, Bruno's son. Um, was it the same feeling with him, or were you just happy to still kind of get to work with the San Martinos in in one way or another? Well, you know what, it worked out pretty good at the time because. Uh, the fans bought it, so it, it made it uh, uh, easy you know, from my perspective because, you know, <laughs> I can cause riots every night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, David held up his end. He, you know, he was good, and we had good matches, and, and you know, the, the name value there, so the people were into it. And uh, I remember one time in, uh, what the heck was it, the Philippines. I mean, the Philippines, and I was wrestling David. And David almost had me beat, but 
the Philippines, it was a weird audience, man. There's like a lot of Arabians there, and they have knives on them, and, and like big guerrilla fighters were standing along the doorways with machine guns. I mean, you know, the place was crammed. And I got kind of weirded out, so I hit David with a low blow. <laughs> and down he went, and I got disqualified. And all of a sudden, a riot breaks out. Oh, no. All these Saudi Arabia guys with their, you know, Outfits like you know Indiana Jones would come flying in the ring, and I'm you know trying to fight me and stab me, and I'm running around and chairs are flying off the balconies, you know trying wow. to you know I, I'm running for my life to the dressing room, and then I find out later that the funny bit was that all these Saudi Arabian guys and and, and back then you know you know what is the early eighties I didn't even know anybody would know who the hell I was from a different country. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but back then they were already selling TV shows. So, uh, yeah. you know, you grew up in Saudi Arabia or Russia. It's, you know, you, you've been watching wrestling, you know, for 20 years. <laughs> you know, so they all knew me in the whole saga. But what I found out earlier was these people were betting on the match, and they bet on David to win uh. <laughs> or something. And then when David was about to win and I hit him with a low blow, they lost their bets or something. Anyway, they all freaked out. A big riot broke out over betting with these Arabian guys with these like knives and guys with machine guns, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that was funny. Well, well, Larry, let's fast forward a little bit to today's wrestling. Uh, you've been outspoken about uh, writers in the business today, and uh, you were quoted as saying, "You know, if they get rid of the writers, they get rid of the problem. Uh, wrestling is a spectator sport. Writers are something that's killing it. It's not that kind of show. Uh, tell us your feelings on uh, uh, pro wrestling is like today. I mean, uh, compared to when you started out, is it just too many writers, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing? Well... When I started out, I mean, you know, like take the word writer. There was there was a zero. They didn't exist. Mm -hmm. uh, it was talent. I mean, if they had uh, whether it was me or the Valiant Brothers or Captain Lou Albano or you know Bruno or Chief J. Strongbow, it was time for an interview. They grabbed the microphone and talked. You know, and 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 where they were themselves and connected with the crowd. And uh, nowadays, it just seems like, you know, these guys don't become themselves. They get so many writers, but unless you've been in the ring wrestling from the 70s and the 80s, it's not like you're, you know, a dummy, but you just don't have a clue. You know, it would be like someone hiring me to be a chemist. You wouldn't want to do that. I'd blow the place up. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but when it comes to professional wrestling, it's 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 a unique animal. You know, it's a it's a unique product, and that's why it's always had like a cult following. You were a wrestling fan, or you couldn't stand it. You know, there really wasn't any middle ground. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, too, you got you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the story is and how many, but you get a whole bunch of writers, none of them knows the psychology. What the hell are you going to do? <laughs> 50 different ideas coming at you? None of them are right? Mm. So, you know, and then it's, you know, so, you know, I, I, I just see the business being a lot easier if you left 
the, the cream rise to the top. If a guy's going to be a star and can talk good, you know, and all that, you don't need a writer. You know, if you can't, maybe he's just not good for the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, in the old days, you know, if you were good, you lasted. If you weren't, you got your two-week notice. So it's not a babysitting service, you know, so let the you know, talent kind of go, but if they can't, maybe they're just not meant for it, but they get, you know, 30 writers telling them what to say, they'll never learn. And they'll be saying stuff that's silly anyway. Now, do you, I, I'm sure this is difficult, but I'm sure you also get asked a lot, so maybe you, you've thought about this, but do you have a most memorable moment in your career? Well, you know, the one we just talked about, walking out of the dugout at Shea in those days, at that age, with doing the biggest thing that was ever heard of at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I moved into a new era. And then you know, I kind of had the same big thrill, too, at the end of the 90s with the New World Order, because I'm the one that programmed the New World Order and the way Scott Hall invaded and the way it started and then, it wound up with me versus Bischoff to save Nitro from the New World Order clutches, and I wrestled Scott Hall, and I'm the one that programmed all that and got started right, so it was hot as hell and perfect. And uh, that was the same feeling, too, because but now, instead of being hated, I was like my hero. I was like the living legend, the beloved Bruno guy, and everybody would chant. We couldn't even get a Nitro show going unless I stood up and <laughs> waved to everybody, you know, because we had it going so good. And and those two pay-per-views were the biggest buy rates WCW ever did. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, mean, I felt this, you know, the, the, the same kind of great achievement level, you know, pulling that off as I did, you know, back then, because that was like the hottest thing that wrestling had going you know, in the late 90s, you know, I pulled one stunt off in the 1980, and I pulled another one off in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Larry, uh, after your uh, in-ring career was over, did you feel that you accomplished all your goals and dreams? I mean, is there anything that you wish you could have still did or anything like that? You know what? I, I really can't complain. I uh, I had a great run. I, I had a career longer than most, and I've been lucky because I don't have any artificial parts. I don't need surgery. You know, I feel like a kid. But, um, yeah, I, I had the joy of doing kind of like, you know, two worlds, you know, the 20 years of wrestling in the ring, and I had no plans on becoming a broadcaster. But uh, that was funny because they, they they needed a broadcaster because they, they fired Jesse. And I was uh, rehabbing from a little knee surgery, and they asked me to sit in, so I said, okay. So I'll sit in and do a couple shows, and the one producer ran in and said, gee, that's the best announcing we've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Turner comes along. I was 40 years old at the time, and the business was starting to change. And I've been around now, you know, for almost 20 years. So it's like anything else. You can love something, but after 20 years, you know, let me watch a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but so it kind of worked out great because then they offered me a job, a hell of a job with TBS as an employee with benefits and all this. And I was making six figures. I mean, a hell of a lot of money. And I worked a day a week doing Nitro and one a day and a half a week. You know, I became the broadcaster and did ten, had a 10-year run, you know, with still being in the business and getting a lot of publicity. And 
And keeping myself hot now, then one time I came out and did his thing with uh, William Regal. Mm-hmm. And because uh, he was good, and, 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 and they didn't know what to do with him, and so I, you know, came out of the broadcast booth and did something special with him, and then again with the New World Order. But so that worked out to so so I I kind of had a lucky career and, and got to do a lot a lot more than I planned. You know, the wrestling and then the broadcasting was uh, was a great ten year run, and I enjoyed that too. Kept me famous when most guys my age were disappearing. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, do you still watch wrestling today? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm uh, still a fan, and I'm involved with some WWE stuff. And they got uh, this NXT they film, which is right down the street from my house. So I go down to every filming when they have it, and hang out with the guys, and see some old buddies, and talk to the, the you know the, the young guys of a new era coming up and see if I can spread some wisdom with them and and I enjoy that and then you know, I'm, I'm hooked on watching them you know on Raw now and new guys starting out and yeah but anyway I can help them I'd love to you know but uh, we it, 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 you know again what's really cool is wrestling has kind of made a full circle and it went through the old school era where I started I was kind of like the last of an old school era guy that was young. And then that era ended in the change into the national television pay-per-view era where the territories went away and it became a nationwide business. And now that era is over and it became, it's becoming now a global network business. And the, the interesting part is that they're right back to stage one with the business because all you got to do you know, to make it successful and everybody happy is sell one $10 ticket a month to a fan to go to Madison Square Garden and watch the big main event. So you're back to square one now where every month you just want to sell a $10 ticket to Madison Square Garden, you know, to the network. Plus everything else the network has to offer in the pay-per-view. So it's a hell of a deal, I think. Now, uh, Larry, in your opinion, uh, is there anything wrong with the world of professional wrestling today? I mean, uh, being you know a legend of your caliber, you've been through it all. Is there something that you you know watch today and you're just like, why are they doing this? Is there anything that bothers you? <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be something with that laugh. I don't know. <laughs> I refuse to answer on the grounds of me incriminate me. <laughs> all right. No, you know what's happening. I, I'll tell you what's happening in a nutshell. It's it, it's just the beginning of a new era, uh, like the old school. You know, like you can look back and me and Bruno at Shea Stadium kind of marked the end of, a, of an old school era. And right after that, you had a new era, the nationwide era where everybody was a character. It wasn't Bruno anymore. It was the Hulk or the Macho or the Superfly or the or the this or the Ultimate, you know, or the that. And it was you know to change into a you know a different era. And that was hot for a while. And then it, you know, goes up and down and slumps. And the business now has been going one way for a long time, good 12, 15 years. But now it's kind of morphing into, you know, again, a new era. So there's some things going on now that will be changing because they have to, because they're going into a new era now. Hmm. 
and the things of the past are going to be, you know, like they say in the business, it was great, but it's milked. Time to time to shoot a new angle. So it's, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Now you said you do, you know, you stay current with the product and everything. Are there anybody in the business today that you think are are pretty cool to watch? Do you have any favorites? Well, I tell you what, I, I, I get kind of emotionally involved because you, know, you want to talk to them, and uh, I know they have the same dreams I have, and you you hope they all make it, and you know, you know a lot of them won't. It's a it's a brutal business, uh, but I, I, I kind of enjoy all the guys, you know, because I know they're all trying hard and <laughs> and and all that, and some of them are super and uh, impressive athletes and even some of these divas they got have you seen this alicia fox chick oh yeah <laughs> she, i mean i've been watching her move she moves better than the guys she's incredible <laughs> i mean they've got you know some uh, incredible talent there and i mean there's some of the new guys that started i mean bray wyatt you know kind of came along and is doing good and Dean Ambrose is uh, you know, keeping a good intensity. He's doing good. Seth Rollins is doing good. And, yeah, I mean, you got a bunch of, you know, like I said, a new era starting and things will be tweaked and and, and the fans are going to have another explosive, uh, you know, time. I think it's going to, I think it's going to work out great. Sure. Uh, now there's uh, some upcoming shows where you get to actually meet, you know, your fans. Uh, there's the the big event happening down in the city coming up, and then we also have uh, in June the New England Fan Fest, which we'll be at. Uh, what what's your favorite part about these shows, and maybe you know getting a chance to meet some of uh, some of your biggest fans out there? Is there anything that you look forward to at these? Well, you know, it's kind of a combination of things because you know I I don't do a whole lot now, which is great. You know, I kind of golf during the week when everybody's at work. I do some things with the WWE and some shows on their network and some things, so that's working out cool. And then, uh, you know, once in a while, maybe once a month or so, you know, I'll fly out. And it gives me a chance to get out of the house and feel like me again. It gives me a chance to meet the fans. You know, I mean, because the days, especially when I did it, and, you know, uh, the one thing you didn't want to do is meet the fans because you want to stay special and you want to stay in their imagination and once they got to know you, they you weren't special anymore. Mm-hmm. So so now it's fun for me to meet them and, and watch their face light up because they grew up watching me. It's like meeting Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's kind of a fun time, and I see some old buddies I haven't seen for a while, and you know, and then pick up a few bucks uh, to stash. So everybody's happy. All right. Now you you mentioned that you spend a lot of time in the WWF and the WWF, and now the WWE. Um, do you think we'll ever get to see the living legend inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame? You know, I I would hope so. I don't want to jinx anything. I, I think it would be a great honor. You know, I, I hope so someday. I'm not all that old yet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah, like, uh, it, would be, it would be a cool thing. But, you know, who knows? 
Well, I, I'm sure we will one day, definitely for sure. Uh, now, Larry, uh, with the exposure with the internet today, I mean, from YouTube to even the WWE Network, I mean, people can watch wrestling 24 uh, seven. Do you ever get to rewatch some of your old uh, moments? And uh, you know, I know we talked a little bit about the Bruno San Martino feud, but would there is there anything else you would suggest the fans to to check out? Maybe for fans listening today that might not have seen you back uh, back in the day wrestle. Yeah, you know what? There was some classic stuff we pulled off in, 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 in some territories from the old days. And I know this generation, even though our generation, you know, missed out on like from the AWA, like when they had it on the ESPN classics. And we pulled off the classic with the Roller Dines and Kurt Henning and Mr. Go. And, and uh, you know, uh, in the days when ESPN was battling USA and TBS and, and, uh, with Ray Stevens and Nick Bockwinkel and a bunch of classics, and so so there was there was a bunch of cool stuff, you know, like in the AWA years, and I don't know how back YouTube can get there was some classic stuff in Georgia Championship Wrestling where me and Killer Brooks swerved Paul Orndorff, and I bought I was the first one ever to buy a belt, paid twenty five grand for a national heavyweight championship wow. from Killer Brooks. It's, you know, and that happened in Georgia. But back then, those were all the territory days. I don't know if some of that footage is even around. Mm-hmm. You know, but it might, it might be. Uh, you know, it should be. You know, actually, yeah, all that old TBS stuff, that's cool stuff that the WWE has now. And, uh, you know, I think in the future, that you know, they're going to have uh, some cool shows that have all this old stuff from the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the whole history where fans will be able to go back and see, you know, how it used to be and, and these wacky characters. Yeah, 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 but then the footage is around, so yeah, it's, it's cool stuff. All right. Now, we're based out of the Northeast. We're uh, coming from Poughkeepsie, New York. Do you have any favorite moments from the Northeast, maybe? Well, you said Poughkeepsie. There was a sister couple up there years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the Poughkeepsie sisters. <laughs> Not to mention it, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I blame Korea. So anyway, but um, well, that whole area—that was the old stomping grounds when I started. You know, Poughkeepsie, Albany. We do loops up to, you know, Bangor and Portland and Wooster, and then you know down the other side to Philly and into Pennsylvania. Yeah, it was a good old days and a, a different world. I mean. Uh, I mean, can, can you imagine this? I mean, no cell phones. Your wife couldn't track you down. There was no leash. You know, <laughs> it was, uh, and, 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 and even in my day, I mean, when, when people started hating me, I mean, I got shot at the one time, followed down the highway, people waving knives at me out the window. I used to carry a gun. And then you get to the airport, throw the gun in the bag, and you get in the airplane and throw the bag over there. There was no security. No one cared. No one checked. Since the plane took off, you lit up a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a different world, brother. Sure. Uh, now, speaking of different world, uh, do you think the business today maybe I don't know too exposed? Uh, you know, to you know, they, have they pulled the curtain open too far to to see what's going on? Or what do you think about that? I mean, with like we're talking about the network and stuff. I mean, they have a lot of shows on TV now with like behind the scenes, and uh, I don't know. Do you think it's just overexposed today? Uh, maybe to a point, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, 
I never talk uh, too much about business, but I, I think it's to the point where the fans are tired of hearing about it. They just want to watch it sure. and pretend and have a good time pretending mm -hmm. that these bastards, which most of them are, are big, tough, scary bastards. And, and you know, athletic you know, people. And if they just let the people do that instead of going out of their way <laughs> to remind them, you know, you know, you kill fuck. Sure. Now, you you mentioned that you've uh, been working with WWE as of late. Are there any upcoming projects, maybe for the network or anything like that, that we'll get to see you be a part of? Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really not positive because you know I'm, I really don't know. But you know, I, I know shows with, like I said before, you know, old footage. You know, I don't know. They'll be you know, hosting some shows with the old, you know, footage from things or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure. I mean, they get, you know, it's kind of a new thing to network. So I'm, I'm sure they got a whole team of people trying to come up with, you know, programming. But uh, it's just going to get more and more, you know, as time goes on. So. Sure. That'll be cool. And now uh, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it yet, though. They had the. Uh... The Legends House, um, you know, with such guys as Hacksaw Jim Duggan and uh, oh, I, yeah, 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 yeah. I watched that. And, do, do you uh, think? Do you think one day maybe if they do another one, we'll, we'll actually see? Uh, or would you be actually a part uh, of it? Would you want to do something like that of uh, spending maybe well, three months with some of uh, some of these old guys? <laughs> well, you know what the funny bit is, because I was talking to Pat and some of the guys about it, and Howard, they were telling me about it. And, on one hand, it would be fun and cool, and it's one of those things that, that, that when it's done, and, you know, people can watch it for years and years and years, it's cool and you're glad you did it. But from what I heard, it's hell. I mean, by, you know, I mean <laughs> yeah. to be locked up with these same guys for such a you know, long period of time, you want to kill each other. <laughs> That's how it used to be in Japan. We used to go for six weeks tour. Uh -huh. And for the first couple of weeks, everybody had a great time. The next couple of weeks, everybody was getting kind of quiet and miserable. You know, the, the, the fifth week, everybody would start getting into fights and mad at each other and hating each other. And then the last week, because we're going home, everybody was happy again, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if I could go through the torture <laughs> of, of doing it, even though it would, it would be fun to do it when it was done. Yeah. <laughs> Lightning round. What is the most emotional moment you've had in the business? Hitting Bruno with the chair. All right. Uh, Scott Hall. Pain in the ass. <laughs> Uh, what are some of your hobbies? Golf. <laughs> About Vince McMahon. I, I, greatest promoter who will ever live. Favorite territory to wrestle in back in the day? Oh, the WWWF. Yeah. Uh, Chris Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite. He, he tries hard. Let's put it that way. Okay. 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 Favorite championship you've ever held? Well, I guess the favorite one would have to be the biggest one. That was the AWA Heavyweight Champion of the World. All right. And uh, Eric Bischoff. 
good guy, a yeah, hustler. He, he was the, the perfect guy to have in that position to hustle up Ted Turner at that time. You know, when he used to listen to me, so. Sure. Now, uh, good hustler. Yeah, all right. We, we talked a lot today. We talked a lot about your career, past and present. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us today on our show. Well, guys, I appreciate it, too. You know, thanks for keeping the living legend alive. <laughs> Wow, Jonathan, uh, Larry Zbysko, uh, a great guy to have on. We talked a little bit about the Hall of Fame, and uh, who knows? Any day he could be into the WWE Hall of Fame, so stick around for that announcement. Uh, you never know what's going to happen in the world of pro wrestling, guys. Uh, but, Jonathan, what a great interview. Uh, we talked about Hogan turning heel and you know the impact that had and how big it was. Could you put yourself back you know, 40-plus years ago to when this happened? Because I'm trying to think. You know, in this day and age of the internet, we find out news all the time. We know what's going on with wrestling, obviously. But back then, man, you didn't have the internet. You didn't have anything going on. You didn't know about the business unless you worked in the business. Uh, I couldn't imagine that. You know what I mean? Like, that had to be, I don't know, I couldn't put myself back in that time, but it had to be a totally different feeling and a lot more anger involved. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you've ever watched The Karate Kid, uh, basically, you have you know Danielson and Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi was teaching him the ways of karate. Bruno San Martino had spent all this time training Larry Zabisco, only to have him turn on him. So, like the you know the teacher then becomes a student, or the student becomes a teacher. But fans were so mad that like his car was getting you know beat up uh taxi he was in was flipped uh fans shot at man yeah he got stabbed i mean we think that people are fired up whenever <laughs> daniel bryan doesn't win the royal rumble like this is this is un- unbelievable serious man that's what it was good talking to him because it's like i know unless we take a a, a wrestling ring time machine you know not to, to take it off hot tub time machine but you know if we could go back in a wrestling ring time machine and just go back to the days that some of these things happened uh it, it would be really hard to put yourself in this place and the, the mindset of what was going on and it's it's so interesting to talk to these guys that's what we love doing uh getting all these interviews and talking to them to get it out there for you guys because i mean man i i tell you what i i've seen the video of him uh i seen the stuff him turning heel on him and i just i still i i wouldn't know what to do if you know with all this information we're given today, not having that and putting myself back in that time, it's it's insane, man. It's something to think about. Definitely something to think about because, uh, guys out there, I want to remind you too, uh, as you're listening to us and you're on Twitter and you're on Facebook, uh, tweet us at a wrestling pod, a wrestling pod, like another wrestling podcast, but shorter, a wrestling pod, uh, or or like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash another wrestling podcast, you know, comment on the show link or just tweet us uh, on the show link or any time of the day. Uh, just let us know what you guys think too. If uh, we didn't mention anybody today, uh, let us know maybe some of your favorite heel turns or, or anything, anything that's on your mind. Let us know, right, Jonathan, we want to hear from you guys out there. We do. And we do this show every week for you. We are fans as well. So we want to be able to connect with you guys. If there's something that we're not, really talking about, like I mentioned earlier, please let us know. We are open for topics and ideas. So um, with that being said, I think that we have to get into yet another heel turn. And uh, yeah, I I also want to say that uh, Wrestling Ring Time Machine is copyrighted and, um, you know, don't don't try to steal that from us. That's something that uh, 
came from the the mind of one Stephen Credo. So um, <laughs> we're gonna be the, doing skits on that baby. Yeah. the The next thing that I want to talk about is somebody who is probably known in most circles in the world as the greatest in-ring performer of all time, and that is none other than Shawn Michaels. And as far as heel turns go, I put his right. It's got to be top five. And, you know, Shawn Michaels was a household name. He was part of the Rockers for a long time. And then there's a lot of kind of questions. You start to see the dissension among the ranks, and all of a sudden – you see Sean and Marty kind of having a few missteps in the ring, and who's to blame? You know, you don't really know. And then who but Brutus the Barber Beefcake, uh, who I think about as a you know somebody who can get stuff done, brings both of them on the infamous barber shop. And do you, do you remember watching this? Yes, uh, Jonathan. It was I was man. I, I can't tell you how old I was. I have to look up. Uh, the exact time, uh, but I, I remember watching it, sitting it, watching it on TV, and another moment, like a lot of my uh, uh, moments of youth were were, uh, were hurt through pro wrestling. I seen a lot of things in pro wrestling from uh, you know Macho Man being bit with a snake, uh, you know, on live TV. My my childhood was almost ruined because of a lot of these things in pro wrestling. But another great moment was when Shawn Michaels super kicked Marty Jannetty through the barber shop window. Um, you know, a crazy uh, one of the, one of those top heel turns, I would say, because it's one of those moments where you just don't forget it, and it's uh, you know, no matter what happened with the Rockers, how great they were, uh, and whatnot, you know, it was this one moment, you know, that solidified Shawn Michaels' split from the Rockers and his, you know, his own his uh, his own way to the top, if you will. Uh, you know, the Rockers may have died that night, but Shawn Michaels' career exploded from that one super kick heard around the world. Uh, you know, Marty Jannetty jokes about it to this day. He'll he'll tweet out photos of barbershop windows and saying how he's a, you know, he's a little bit uh, cautious about walking past these things, uh, which is hilarious. Um, but you know, it, it's one of those moments, Jonathan. Like I said, you, you don't you don't forget, and it's one of the things. You know, one of those things you can just watch over and over again, and you know, you know that you're watching one of those wrinkle in times, those time, those timeless moments of a of, of a pro wrestling history. And once again, one of those moments that you have to watch at least once or twice a year just to kind of catch the gravity of the situation. I was at, I was nine. I was the. It was 1992. Whenever that happened, and. Uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan's commentary alone is worth watching it over and over and over again. I always did feel bad a little bit for Marty Jannetty because at that point, you know, he what his his career never really bounced back. Whereas Shawn Michaels had the absolute opposite effect. He went on to do you know great things, and and one would have to to really question if Shawn Michaels would be Mr. WrestleMania today, the showstopper, the main event, the icon, had that moment not happened. That's right. We actually joked about this. Uh many, many shows ago uh, when we talked about tag teams, about, you know, like, if we would put two teams together and we would pick which one was the Gennetti. Uh And I told you, we're, we're, we're goal is to get Marty Gennetti on this show and talk to him about this more, but uh, it, it's just one of those times, Jonathan, I think, you know, it's right up, it's right up there with the Hogan heel turn, uh, the Larry Zbysko heel turn, the HBK heel turn on Marty Jannetty. Uh, it's the classic moment. Like I said, no matter what you talk about with the Rockers, uh, you don't talk about any other moment that happened with them uh, until they're split up. You know what I mean? It was like one of those things that you just remember. 
And speaking of segues, um, I'm going <laughs> to now talk about some classic moments that we have on our YouTube page. So if you love us, which I hope you do, that's why you're listening to us, you can get on YouTube.com slash Another Wrestling Pod. That is Another Wrestling P-O-D. And you can kind of listen to some exclusive interviews that we've had with some other people that you know are big part of the wrestling industry or maybe people that you haven't necessarily heard about but that's what our what's what we're trying to do is we're trying to educate everybody about the the world of professional wrestling it's a huge world and we speak with none other than mike roch uh yeah i did say that again he is the owner the founder of interspecies wrestling it is a promotion that's based out of danbury connecticut and they do some shows um around the world they do some in Canada, and this past year, 2014, they did a couple of Warp Tour shows. So definitely check out this interview and uh, hear what Mike Roch has to say. Nice, Jonathan. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things in pro wrestling, we've talked about it on previous episodes. As you can see, we're kind of reflecting back on uh, episode 40 here and some of the things we've done in the past. But, you know, one of the biggest topics in pro wrestling is patriotism. And, uh, you know... With wrestling, you know, one of those cornerstones, uh, every time you hear about wrestling, is patriotism. You know, you're, you're pro-USA. You have Hacksaw Jim Duggan was a big pro-USA guy. Hulk Hogan was a big pro, well, you know, he's a pro-USA guy, pro-everything guy. Uh, but you know what I mean? There was always pro-country people, uh, no matter who you talked about. And one of those guys was definitely Sergeant Slaughter. But uh, this heel turn for Sergeant Slaughter was another, I would say, scary one, but it was at a great time because uh, America, we were at war with Iraq, um, and, you know, the whole, op- uh, you know, Desert Storm was going on and all that stuff, and uh, Sergeant Slaughter, you know, he turned his back and he was he aligned himself with the Iron Sheik, and, you know, I, another, talk about another guy receiving death threats, Jonathan. Do you remember this? Because this is another time to where there was another guy you just didn't think would would ever change his back. This is Mr. G.I. Joe. I was watching him on Saturday morning cartoons. You know, he was part of the cartoon, and he had USA on his damn shirt. So it's like, you know, this guy was pro-USA, thick and thin, uh, you know, for better or for worse. You know, this guy you would never see turning his back. And what happened, Jonathan? He turned his back. Well, he did. He became an Iraqi sympathizer. And I think the thing that got me the most is the fact that the the first Desert Storm, the first Gulf War, was such a, like, a hometown-based thing where in my elementary school, we were sending boxes over to the troops. And you know, so it hit home for me. I, it was 1990, so I was the ripe age of seven. And it was just – it was – definitely tugging on the heartstrings of pretty much everybody in America and to see somebody who was such a you know like you said a patriot to be on GI Joe to to bring the American flag to the ring to come out to the um Marine Corps hymn as a uh, theme music you know this was just so out of characteristic for uh Sergeant Slaughter not to mention that he was getting gifts from Saddam. He was getting boots and all kinds of stuff. But then they went as far as to burn Hulk Hogan's shirt live on television, and that was the final straw for me. You know, you can you can say some bad things about US of A. You can, you know, spit on on, you know, some of our American traditions, but you cannot 
you cannot burn a Hulk Hogan shirt, and that's that's when it was on for me. That's right, Jonathan. Uh, a lot of things like that, like you said, you know, this is the time when Hulk Hogan was still Hulk Hogan before his infamous heel turn. Uh, but man, I mean, I remember reading stories where you know they had to sneak him out of the building because he was getting death threats at every show. Uh, it's insane, man. Uh, you know, after, you know, we talk to these guys like, why do you do it? You know, when you get all these threats and it's just like, you know, well, they just do it, you know? And I, could you imagine putting yourself in this position to where, you know, this day and age, it's not like that really. But I mean, back then to where people didn't have that much information in their hands to understand it, that much to where, you know, they really had this much hatred for somebody because, you know, we hate things on wrestling. People hate things on wrestling. We've talked about it. Uh, but to hate something this much where, you know, you're actually going to try to kill this guy after the end of the show because you don't realize that it's just part of the show. Uh, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy alone just to, to think about it. Yeah. I, you know what though? I was just talking about, do you remember what I said that Sergeant Slaughter burnt Hulk Hogan's shirt. <laughs> now that would w- that would have left Hulk Hogan shirtless. And I'm going somewhere with this, so just let me be. <laughs> if you find yourself shirtless, you can go to prowrestlingtees.com/slash/another/wrestling/podcast to pick up one of our shirts. You see what I did there? That's the 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 guy knows how to segue. I'll tell you that one. He knows. Yes. He knows it. Uh, but that's right, Jonathan. Uh, guys, pick it up today uh, and support the show because uh, why not, right? Now, I, I have to, you know, I don't want to. I, I tell myself every show that I'm not going to do this, but um, it's time to bring up another heel turn involving your childhood hero slash wet dream i don't know exactly what your fascination is with this gentleman but brett the hitman Hart. um he (laughs) uh just just stop just this this is this is uh you know kind of unexpected but uh if you want to talk about brett hart's heel turn i have no problem talking about it um you know let's talk about it let's get it off my chest off your chest, because uh, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to make Bret Hart into the bad guy, and he's not the bad guy anymore, Jonathan. But he was back then. Uh, it's okay. I, I, I've come to the terms that you know Bret Hart was uh, was heel back then, but I was st- I still liked him, so it didn't bother me in his heel turn. But Jonathan, his heel turn was very important because you know it helped usher in one of the greatest errors ever, and that was the Attitude Era. Oh which, my God! Every- you're not. Are you giving? Are you seriously giving Bret Hart the credit for creating the Attitude Era? No, I'm just saying it I, helped. It helped usher in one of the greatest uh, errors ever because you know when he turned against his American fans, you know he still was extremely popular uh, in Europe and overseas, and especially Canada. So granted, he was heel in America. He was a freaking fan favorite all across the country. So I had as much to do with the Attitude Era <laughs> as Bret Hart. Hey now, but uh, hear me out. Hear me out because I mean, if, if you think about it, this was this was it was a great heel turn because, like I just said, you know, uh, as much as the American fans hated him, and we're starting to get more cockier into DX, you know, and they kind of like that rough, uh, you know, what DX and NWO was doing, and uh, you know, the mainstream stuff going on. Bret Hart was still a character where he, you know, res- still had a lot of respect. He wanted a lot of respect in the ring. And, you know, 
DX wasn't giving it to him, you know? They were they were making fun of him, making fun of the country, making fun of the flag, and it kind of threw him into the bad guy mode. <laughs> uh, you know, like Brie mode, but just bad guy mode. Um, you know, but but think about this. I think this is one of the good, greatest heel turns because, like I just said, you know, as much as America hated him, when they went to Canada, when they went overseas, he was treated, they were all treated, the Hart Foundation was treated like the number one stars, man. They got nothing but cheers. And that's what was kind of great about this because unlike Hogan or unlike, you know, uh, Sergeant Slaughter at least, I mean, he didn't really go to Canada and he didn't cheer for him. But, you know, this was a unique heel turn because he was a heel in America but not heal anywhere else. And that's that's one of the important things you got to think about with uh, this whole, you know, Bret Hart heel turn, Jonathan. So what are your thoughts on that, though? Because, I mean, I don't think there's been, really been anybody like that to where, you know, they were just a fan favorite in one country or every other country except for America. Um, you know, I mean, because with his group, it was, it was Bret Hart, Owen Hart, uh, Davey Boy Smith, Brian Pillman, which I just... Brian Pillman was in it too, uh, but you know what I mean. Like when when they went to Canada, went all to these other countries, you know they weren't booed or weren't you know antagonized like they were here in America. So it was kind of interesting seeing that because you know it, it was different. I think what I'm trying to get to is that it was a different kind of heel turn that we've ever seen. Yeah, the thing about this that made it so like gritty and real is the fact that. This was the point when the fans started to kind of dictate what was happening in in the world of wrestling. Before, you know, WWE, WCW, they were kind of telling fans what they should and shouldn't like. And at this point, the fans were like, listen, we don't really buy it anymore. Bret Hart's kind of the goody-two-shoes character. Um, We want to cheer for more people like Stone Cold, like Shawn Michaels, like The Rock. And they really made the Attitude Era themselves. And so... When Brett started to do this, yeah, the American fans didn't like him, but it was amazing to see they would go to Montreal or they would go to, um, you know, any of the other places in Canada that I'm not aware of because I'm not Canadian. Um, I like how you had to Montreal, though. At least, like, yeah, Montreal and, uh, you know, everything else up north, pretty much. Let's see, you're uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah, I, whatever. Um, Calgary, whatever. Um, so. They they were beloved, and it's hilarious to me that you had – who did you have in the Hart Foundation? You had Bret Hart, Canadian. You had Owen Hart, Canadian. You had British Bulldog, who was married into the, the family. Jim Neidhart, who married into the family. And Brian Pillman, American. So <laughs> it's just – it was just funny to me, but they were they were beloved, and I – Remember vividly a fan sign that back then they had all those like, you know, the Calvin and Hobbes like car- cartoon. You'd always see like Calvin on the back of somebody's car like peeing on something. <laughs> yeah. And there was a fan sign that was like all of the Hart Foundation's backs were turned and they were all peeing on the uh, the American flag. And it was just it just kind of summed everything up because, you know, you had Shawn Michaels at the time sticking the Canadian flag up his nose or like pretending to hump it. And uh, that, you know, they they really, it, it was. I will give the the devil his due. And that was probably one of the, the coolest heel turns in the sense that you have never before and since then hasn't happened where you have 
such a powerful reaction one night and then a complete opposite reaction the next night. Yeah, it it was something to see. And I mean, uh, granted too, uh, this heel turn would also help get Steve Austin over as a face because... They had such an incredible match at WrestleMania 13, but I mean, you couldn't, I couldn't really keep thinking that, you know, the Bret Hart character that we knew to be such a fan favorite going against Steve Austin, it was just inevitable that we had to turn Bret Hart uh, heel, you know, to, it kind of, you know, with that happening, it definitely got Steve Austin over more, uh, over with everybody else as being a true face. So, um, you know, as I'd like to say, you know, he helped usher the Attitude Era and also helped uh, Steve Austin turn into a fan favorite. Uh, so and he also he also invented the internet. <laughs> and uh, he single-handedly hunted down the last Mastodon. <laughs> well, there you go, kids. Uh, that's, that's a history lesson. So never forget it that Bret Hart, as much as he turned heel, he also helped out the business. So I just want to get that uh, a point across to everybody. <laughs> Because, you know, one day when we do have Bret Hart on the show, we he may hear this and, you know, I want him to actually talk to me, uh, even though he might ignore you. So, but all in God, all, guys. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> but all in all, Jonathan, I mean, we could talk everybody's ears off, but, you know, we, we, we talked about some important heel turns, some things that we loved. Guys, let us know what you loved. Once again, anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. Head on over there. Leave your comments. Uh, share it with your friends. Tell everybody. Invite Grandma over, for God's sakes, and let her listen to the show. Uh, she'll love it. Because I think she was around during all this when we were talking about. Uh, right, Jonathan? I mean, there's a lot to find us on. We're on social media galore. Uh, that's not a new site or anything. I'm just talking about social media in general. Uh, so you, you can find Follow us. Follow us on galore. <laughs> Yo, we got another thing. We got a trademark yeah. right there. Another uh, wrestling galore. Galore is also trademarked and uh, property of another wrestling podcast. So, um, you know, we, we did speak about all of our our, you know, social media things, but... We also have to give a nice little shout out to today's sponsor. Our show today is being sponsored by Collector's Realm. You can go to Collector's Realm and it is like the mecca for sports entertainment fans. They have all different kinds of merchandise and they usually do a lot of signings. Steve mentioned earlier that we got to see Mick Foley as well as Jolly St. Mick there. And they have an upcoming signing that you can find out about on CollectorsRealm.net, but it was with the one, the only, the hot rod, Roddy Piper. And there's a little cool deal that they have going on right now. And Steve, why don't you tell us about that? That's right, kids. Sunday, March 8th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Collector's Room in Fishkill, New York. Uh, If you guys want to head over there to meet Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, if you have another wrestling t-shirt or like you know ours another wrestling podcast t-shirt uh if you have one of our shirts at this signing you will receive a free photo op with the hot rod himself so just another incentive to head on over to prowrestlingtees.com slash another wrestling podcast guys get your shirt today uh it takes less than a week to get to you so when you get it wear the shirt to the signing and you'll get a free photo with the hot rod himself uh jonathan can you think of a better deal than that you cannot beat that um at all and i think that this is what we're all about we like helping out they're helping us out so please go and you know spend some time at the collector's realm good people good items and uh, good conversation about wrestling 
Today's show is brought to you by ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com. They provide opinions on pro wrestling and articles without oversaturating the net with news and rumors. Pro Wrestling Powerhouse has provided a platform for wrestling fans to write about what they love, pro wrestling. They don't censor people within reason and allow any and all opinions on the site. Check out ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com. Community Calendar. Don't forget, Northeast Wrestling's WrestleFest 19 returns Friday, March 6th to Waterbury, Connecticut at 8 p.m. You are going to see Alberto El Patron, formerly known as Alberto Del Rio, versus Matt Hardy. The hot rod himself, Roddy Piper, will be there. AJ Styles, Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray will be there. The Young Bucks, Jerry Lawler, and so many more, guys. Make sure you head on over to NortheastWrestling.com for more information. Like we mentioned earlier, you can go to our YouTube page and see our interview with none other than Mike Roch of Interspecies Wrestling. Speaking of Interspecies Wrestling, February 28th, live from the Heirloom Arts Theater in Danbury, Connecticut, Boner Jam 3, The Three Rection. You have to go out and see this event. It's something like you will never see again. And tons of great matches are going to be there. And, you know, it's a small venue, but they have two different types of tickets there's a vip ticket and there's a general admission ticket so get on interspeciesrestling.com and check it out i will see you there we want to thank you guys for listening today every week we create something for you to listen to and it's absolutely free we are the wrestling fans podcast because after all we're fans also help us out by subscribing to our show on itunes while you're there you can rate us and give us a good review if you're looking for more AWP, then head on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com to find out more about upcoming guests and where we may pop up. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and buy an official AWP shirt from prowrestlingtees.com. We couldn't do the show without you, so please tune in next week for <sighs> Another Wrestling Podcast. Another Wrestling Podcast.